Make the choice to begin anywhere in your life, and the journey has started. We exist more than just to educate. We exist to also revitalize. And along the way, you can inspire others and be inspired. But now there's a new generation of scholars, and I am among them. If you really want to know who you are and what you are capable of, Howard is the choice for you. Take a moment. Listen to the stories by joining the president of Howard University, Dr. Wayne A.I. Frederick, and his guest on The Journey. As our campus evolves and modernizes with current times, it is essential that we explore the ways in which capitalism and technology can shape a better world for us all. For far too long, institutions like Howard University have been shut out of these conversations. And that's why today's guest and his impacts on our community have been so important these past 18 months. Hello, my name is Dr. Wayne Frederick, and my guest today on the journey is James Ree, the Johnson Chair of Entrepreneurship in the Cathy Hughes School of Communications and a Senior Advisor to the Center for Women, Gender, and Global Leadership. Mr. Ree, welcome to the journey. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, you now about halfway through your experience here uh, with us at Howard, and I'll dive a little deeper into mm -hmm. uh, kind of the better of your experiences, but maybe you could give us an overarching feedback on what it has been like so far these past 18 months. It's been a warm reception, a learning experience, and everything that you had said that it would be when you were gracious enough to offer me to do this. Um, I've made, made a lot of friends. It's been particularly uh, invigorating to spend time with the students. Um, you know that I'm teaching a class and I come down every Thursday uh, from Boston. So just being with them, it's 30 of them this year. You know, as much as I love spending time with you and my fellow faculty members, but the students, like it's really gratifying to really see and hear and listen to them, listen to their perspectives on the world and um, and learn from them too. Good. So I, I want to go all the way back to what about your upbringing you think um, prepared you for some of this? So maybe you could tell our listeners a bit about you know where you were born and, and sure. what your early schooling was like. I was born here uh, on Jerome Avenue in the Bronx. My dad was a pediatrician. My mother was a nurse. Mm -hmm. They lived through the worst of the Korean War. So whenever I see the pictures of the Ukraine, my parents were refugees. Uh, they fled. And so, I'm, yeah, I'm the second son of three kids, Long Island public school, two caregiving immigrant parents. And I think like many of your students here, actually, I sometimes had the extra responsibility of navigating the world for my parents, too. Mm -hmm. First kid in college here, first native English speaker learning all of the systems from scratch, um, having some pressure to sort of uh, achieve for my broader family, which sometimes is a burden for your students too, um, but always feeling very grateful and responsible for the sacrifices that they made for me. Now, once you um, navigated high school, tell me a, a bit about your higher education experience sure. prior to jumping into business. Yeah, a public school kid from Long Island went to Harvard College, I uh, thought I would go there and be a science and math guy. Ended up really studying people. So economics, history, philosophy, literature, basically studying how people behaved. A lot of my work was 19th century uh, antebellum South. Mm -hmm. um, I studied just the intersection of race, economics, legislation, 
money. Mm -hmm. And then I went and taught high school for two years. It's a pattern. I'm a teacher. Nice. Like, okay, <laughs> even though I've been on Wall Street, I really enjoy people. I enjoy teaching. I enjoy learning from my students. And then I went to law school, Harvard Law School, to be a public defender. I thought I would be a public defender. And um, I don't know. I ended up somehow on Wall Street for a long time. But I think in my heart, I'm still a teacher and a public defender. It just manifests in different forms. Now, clearly, you've done a lot um, in your career. But your time with Ashley Stewart yes. um, will always be a footnote somewhere yes. in your bio because of the impact it had. It was transformational. And it also, in a lot of ways, wasn't a natural fit, right? Somebody calls <laughs> you up about Ashley Stewart. Yeah. You know, it seems a little bit unusual. So maybe you could tell our viewers as to how you ended up running Ashley Stewart. Sure. Uh, so for everyone listening, I was a private equity person. I was in some tall buildings in Boston. I've owned and invested a lot of companies, both growth and distressed. I looked around the room as well. I was generally one of the few, if not only, minorities in a lot of the boardrooms I was in. And I started sort of being very conscious of that, particularly with children. Mm -hmm. um, and then my father was dying of Parkinson's. And then there was this company, as you noted, called Ashley Stewart. It was in a portfolio of a former employer. And for those of you who don't know the company, uh, you may think of it just, oh, they sell clothes. Yes, it's for size 12 and up women. But as a historian, when I looked at it, it was more than that. And when I did all the numbers, I said, wow, it's almost exclusively in black neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. It's almost exclusively employing black women. And so I said, I don't think it's that. I think it's something more. And you can imagine how that company had been treated by the capital markets for 20 years. And so I didn't like it. And the talk in the boardroom wasn't great. And so they said, James, what are you going to do? And then my life completely changed. I resigned. I, I just said, then I, I'll go. I'll go be interim CEO for six months. Let me figure it out. Let me save as many jobs as I can. I'll come back. And it turned out, um, which we can go into, it was very lonely. Like I, um, no one came. I thought people would come and help me. No one really came. And it really ended up just being me and a few people um, in the home office. But predominantly, it was hundreds, if not a thousand, of predominantly black women across America who they said to me, they're like, it's ride or die. Right. <laughs> and I said, sure. Hello, I'm Dr. Wayne Frederick. Today, my guest on the journey is James Ree, the Johnson Chair of Entrepreneurship in the Cathy Hughes School of Communications here at Howard University. So that experience at Ashley Stewart obviously gave you some insight, um, and that's insight that you were applying to Venture Capital before, and you now have a new venture in Red Helicopter. What is your thesis behind Red Helicopter? What do you hope to accomplish? Sure. I mean, what I learned during Ashley Stewart, what, uh, we bent systems. And it really dawned on me that the reason why we were able to do what we did was that we had to nudge along certain scaffolding and sort of make up new scaffolding for it to work. And I had underestimated how important it was to sort of have this sort of kid-like mindset and say, we have to imagine and say, why can't we do this? And I feel that here. Right? That's one of the things we've talked about, to imagine 
the world that you want to have. And that's what Red Helicopter is, is that I'm, it's, for now, it's in media ed. It starts with changing minds. Mm -hmm. So part of this, there's a way that I teach. It's here, and you know that I spend time at MIT, too. It really is neuro, math, economics, money, behavior. It's things that I don't think we are teaching our elementary school, middle school kids. It's like how their brain works. Yep. And we're not teaching them money. And so I combine all of them so that people don't meet money for the first time on Wall Street or never. Mm -hmm. It makes it more normal. Yeah. Um, and so I'm teaching, and then from a media side, I've been much more active in just explaining this to the world. You know that I did the TED Talk and Brene and Simon mm -hmm. to explain what we did. I think most people now understand better what we did at Ashley Stewart. The last two, three years have changed people's minds a bit. They're saying, yeah. ah, and so I get a lot more calls now saying, now we understand what you were talking about. So with that as the backdrop, mm -hmm. and, uh, and as you examine kind of what we're doing now in terms of the paradigm of how we're teaching students, how students are thinking about some of these things and not having money just be the central aspect of it, but recognizing their creativity is important, their mindset yes. of how they come to these things is important. What do you think we should be focused on emphasizing as we think about educating students and preparing them for the next generation and what should we be de-emphasizing for that matter? I think the main quality that's going to be necessary for young people and for all of us it's if you had to pick one I would say it's agility mm -hmm. and uh, that's how I define entrepreneurship like a, not necessarily starting a company it's more of a natural agility it's like that in sports too right to be agile is very different than being fast and so, uh, to me, the best way to teach agility is what I'm experimenting with all over the place. Now, and, you're st and the students here, I think, are really taking to it. It's a systems framework where it's very, uh, it's horizontally connected mm -hmm. rather than hyper-specialized and um, just one, knowing one thing is to know the connectivity of everything. And when you think like that, it makes things like physics, math, philosophy, ethics, very important because it, these are very transcendent laws that connect a lot of the quote man-made laws and so that's where I've been emphasizing and the best way to sort of communicate this isn't just through numbers and through words. Sometimes the hardest thing is to ask someone to just shift their perspective just five percent mm -hmm. And so with this, if you can shift someone's perspective 5% on 20 things, it leads to profound change mm. and a lot of allies in doing it. And, and your course is titled um, Impact Investing ESG in Life. Yes. ESG is being hammered. Yes. It's almost becoming a political cudgel. But the intent here, again, is to get us to focus on a wider variety of things that impact the social fabric. So we're not just making money for the sake of making money, yes. and as a matter of fact, disadvantaging others. Why tie that? Why does the ESG drop right in the middle of that? You could have titled impact. It's funny, the title changed. Right. Yeah, so we, the students and I now refer to it as, it's the entrepreneurial journey, systems of money, life, and joy. Mm-hmm. And so ESG is actually not, we, we changed it because of that, that yep. it was 
I just, it started becoming not just politicized, but it's a post facto measurement mm -hmm. versus changing root behavior. Yep. And I don't think there's any way to change root behavior that's more effective than um, strong family and strong teachers. And any, there's no shortcuts for that. Yeah. And so that's why I love being here, <laughs> like yeah. spending time with the students, because I feel exhilarated every time I walk out of that classroom. I feel better for it too, right. right? So, I ask everyone who comes on, why Howard? But more specifically for you, why should somebody come to Howard and take your class in particular? Mm. The history of Howard is that it represents the type of place that I tried to build at Ashley Stewart. I've tried to live my life. It's never discriminated against anyone mm -hmm. from day one. And you can feel it. You can't make it up. That's why Howard, yes, the academic credentials, and the, it's great, but that spirit, it's very rare to find that anywhere. Mm. And so that's why, I'm, I, that's why I asked you. You said one year. I said three. Yeah. So, <laughs> and that's why I come down here every Thursday. I'm like, it's, that, that, that's, that's what I would say about Howard. And I, I'll give you an example of this. As I've been writing this book, I found out something pretty cool. But I found out there's a song in Korea. It's basically like the, it's like God Bless America, that type of song. It's not the national anthem. It's called Adidang. Mm. And every Korean person in Korea sings it. It's just part of who you are. And because I was born here, you know, that was, I, I was cut off from a lot of that. I want you to know that song, the first time, and it's UNESCO protected song, 600 years old. No one knows who, it's a folk song. No one knows who, in, uh, who wrote it. The first time that song was ever recorded was in DC. Mm. And in my research, uh, the students from Korea who sang it here, you know where they were going to school? <laughs> Howard. Amazing. And I think that story to me encapsulates what makes this school special. And it's a global school. We talked about That's this. Right. Howard is based in DC. But when I think 50 to 100 years from now, like I can see, I hope very clearly what Howard will be, should be globally. Yeah, absolutely. That's a fantastic story to end with. Thanks for being here. My guest today was James Ree, the Johnson Chair of Entrepreneurship in the Cathy Hughes School of Communications here at Howard University. I'm Dr. Wayne Frederick. Please join me next time on The Journey.